Good morning. Morning. You know, I was thinking a minute ago what I need is a couple more wires. I was a little short on wires this morning. It was a bit uh, getting untangled. Um, man, I, I'm excited about today. The Lord has really been speaking this week, and I look forward to sharing that with you. I want to remind you real quick of where we kind of where we left off last week. Last week we spent our time talking about giving good gifts. Uh, we looked at Hebrews chapter seven verses four through ten, in which the author is making the case that Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priest because through Abraham the Levites gave a tenth to Melchizedek. We spent most of our time talking about how important gifts are and that they reveal the, the true nature of your heart. I shared a few examples from my life of some not so great gifts and kind of what that tells you about the giver. Um, but I, I want us to see that Abraham responds to Melchizedek by giving him a good gift. And, gift and, and, and honestly, his response isn't just to Melchizedek, it's to God because God is the one that has brought him through, who's allowed him to rescue his cousin uh, or his nephew Lot, and, and now here he stands before one of God's priests. And so we talked about giving good gifts as one of the ways that we express love to one another. We had some great discussions on our life group last week. If you're, uh, if you're not familiar with the love languages, love languages, one of them is gifts. And one of the things that people whose love language is not gifts, one of their struggles is giving good gifts because that's not how their brain necessarily works. But it is also true that God has given, he's created us in his image, in his nature, and he is a giver of good gifts. And so it's not that we can't good give, give good gifts, it's that often we don't put a lot of time and a thought into those gifts, unless you're a gift giver, and then you're consumed with those thoughts all the time, because that is how you show love and how you receive love. So we talked about last week about how, uh, in our life group, how great it, get, it feels to give a gift to somebody. If you think about, I asked the question in our life group, what's the greatest gift you've ever given? And I know that when I ask a question like that, people don't really want to answer because they, they feel like it maybe sound prideful. Um, but, but I want you to think about that. Think about the best gift you've ever given to someone else and specifically about how that made you feel. Because there's something interesting that happens in us when we give a really great gift. When we spend a lot of time thinking about the perfect gift and then we get to present that perfect gift. I, I just, this, we didn't talk about it last week because I think uh, Kara stole everybody's thunder when she's like, the greatest gift I've ever been given was my ring by Carrie. You know, which is, which is, she's making a face at me, which is fantastic. That is a great story. And, I, and it made me think about all the thought and processes that I went through to buy the ring for Bethany and to give that ring to her. And, and, and it just made something click inside of me that had not clicked before. And so then the question that we kind of follow that up with is, do you feel the same way when you give good gifts to God? When we talk about the way we give of our time and our resources, do we get those same feelings? And if we do, that's fantastic. If we don't, let's let the Lord address that. Because giving a good gift, like I said a while ago, is a part of who we are. It's a part of our DNA. Any culture you go to, gift giving is going to be a part of that culture because we are created to give. And so I want to challenge myself and all of us to think about the gifts that we're given. The, the author of Hebrews makes a point to, to talk about this gift and it's significant in the narrative that's happening. So I want us to, to look today at the next section, and, and as we're moving in there, I want us to remember that Abraham's gift to Melchizedek reveals Abraham's heart about how he feels about God. 
that he is giving something significant. We talked about last week about how the, he's giving a tenth of his possessions that he just gained from these four kings that he conquered and that for him in their time, in their culture, that that was um, the nest egg for him to be able to be the patriarch of his family, to take care of his family. And so he's giving a significant portion before he even gets to utilize any of those things. He's giving a significant portion away um, to Melchizedek and then also to God. So if you'll remember, the author introduces Melchizedek as a type of priest, right? That he's not um, just a, a person, but he is a type. He is setting, uh, by the author of Hebrews using Melchizedek, he's setting Melchizedek as a type of priest that is different from what they had experienced before. And he rem- if you'll remember, he uses Psalm 110 to make this case. It says, uh, he quotes David by saying, The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. So the segment on gift giving is to show that when God put his plan in motion, it was his intent that there would be a better priesthood than the Levitical line and that that would fulfill God's promise to restore that broken relationship that happened when Adam and Eve chose to sin. And so Abraham's gift as a patriarch places Melchizedek, his priesthood, higher than the Levitical priesthood because the Levites are the offspring of Abraham. And so in their culture, that's how that would have laid out. So today we're going to learn, we're going to lean into that idea that Jesus' priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. So read along with me in Hebrews chapter 7. We'll go through uh, verses 11 through 16 today, and we'll kind of break that down. It says, now, if perfection came through Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek, and not according to the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well. For the one, for the one these things are spoken about belonged to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priest. And this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. So I want to kind of bring our brains back somewhere that we've been once before. When we were going through Hebrews chapter 5, specifically verse um, 1 through 3, we talked about we don't live in a, a culture or a world necessarily where we think about priests very often. If you grew up in the Catholic faith, that may be different for you. But for most of us who've grown up in the Southern Baptist Church or other denominations, priests, are, they don't play a significant role in our life, but they did for the, for the Israelites. Look at, at um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 with me. And I want to remind you that he is, the author's making this point again. He's echoing what he's already said. He's reminding the people as they were well aware of that the Levitical priesthood was not perfect. Because he says, now if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood. I like how he phrased that. Now if perfection came through it. Because what he is saying without being negative is perfection did not come through the Levitical priesthood. It wasn't perfect because the priests weren't perfect. They too had sinned. And not only did they need to make atonement for their own sin, but then they had to also make atonement for other people's sins. So look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. 
Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as the people. So there's one main point that the author is going to try to drive home in this section that we're in today, and we'll also talk about this again next week. But the fact that Jesus was sinless and therefore a better priest, that's the point he's trying to help people understand, is that Jesus in the line of Melchizedek is a superior priest to the Levitical priest. We're going to dig into the details of that next week, but for today I want to focus on the comparison between the old Levitical priesthood and the new priesthood of Jesus. And and this is not just a Levites versus Jesus argument, okay? And I want us to see that from the beginning, that this is not just the author of Hebrews saying, this guy's better than this guy. The takeaway is not that the Levites were bad men and so God changed the plan. The law and the Levitical priests needed to come for the same reason. The law and the Levitical priests came for the same reason. The purpose of the law was not to make people perfect, but to show them that they cannot be perfect. And in the same way, um, the law reveals, excuse me, it, the law itself reveals our need for atonement. And the law reveals the sin that separates us from God. It's the standard, and when we compare ourselves to it on a daily basis, we see that we fall short, that we cannot be perfect. And the priests, in a similar way, show us that man alone cannot fix the problem of sin any more than, than the law can. It was necessary for the Levitical priesthood to come. The priests were used by God to show that without His divine help, we are all in the same boat. We are separated from God by sin. And no matter how much we do or how, much, how hard we try, we are incapable of perfectly fulfilling the law. And we're going to see yet another progression of God's plan to redeem His people. Another piece in the puzzle of God's ultimate plan. This picture that He's creating of this perfect relationship. This priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, served its purpose. And now Jesus is coming in. And, and this helps us to share the gospel because it, it makes us admit to ourselves and to others that we are not perfect. One of the, the things that the church struggles with these days is people that are outside the church looking at us saying, y'all are just a bunch of hypocrites. And they're right, we are. But, the, but what we need to help ourselves understand, what we need to help them understand is that I am aware of my sin. I'm not proud of it and I'm not better than anybody else. That was the point of the Levitical priesthood is to say that even though these, this group of people was set aside and their role was to be in this special relationship with God that nobody else could have, they still were sinners. I was thinking about this, this idea of progression this week and the idea of um, cell phones came about and thinking about how that technology has changed over the years. It's, I don't know how well you can see that, but the first one in 1985 was the bag phone. Anybody remember a bag phone? No? Nobody? Okay, we got a couple of people. My dad had a bag phone for work. And then we had the big Saved by the Bell phone, I call it, that Zach Morris had. Anybody, that ring, the big white thing that he brought to school with him. And then you got the, the flip phone. that it, The flip, all it did was just cover the keys. It, it had no function. It was a piece of plastic. And then, you know, we, we kind of moved through there. We got the Nokia, like, little brick phone that had Snake on it. Anybody play Snake? Anybody remember texting on one of those phones? It was horrible, okay? And then we get to the kind of the BlackBerry agent. Now we're at cell phones, right? Smartphones. All of us have either an Android or an iPod. Or a, a iPod. <laughs> Showing my age there too. Or an iPhone. Fun fact, the oldest iPhone, the original iPhone, had more computing power than the, the computer that sent astronauts to the moon. Okay? That's significant. So we went from 
landlines, which most people in this, some people in this room know about. A lot of, of the younger ones don't. My kids don't know what a landline is. They never had one. We still, it was a cordless phone. But there's this progression of technology that happens. And, and what I want us to see is that if we'd have never had the bag phone, we'd have never made it to the iPhone, right? Each of those was a progression in the technology to make it smaller, to make it better, to make it faster. And now we're at the, at the phase where the, the phone that's in your pocket often is as powerful or more powerful than the PC that you work on at your desk. It's just configured differently. But we had to have the old in order to get to the new. There's a progression that was necessary to happen. Dr. George Guthrie in the, the commentary that I've been reading and studying, the class that I've been taking as we've walked through this, talks about the significance of this section in helping the church to realize that there is a paradigm shift that happened just before them. Prior to this moment, all communication with God and the hope for salvation happened through the Levitical priesthood. The only hope of salvation, the only hope of being right before God was going to happen through the Levitical priest. If you wanted to be right with God, you had to go through those guys first. And the author is walking them step, through, step by step through the theology of Jesus as the final high priest. He's trying to connect the dots for them and say, this was the old way. This is the way God set it up, but we got something new. You can throw the bag phone away. We have iPhones now. That's not necessary anymore. It can do way more. And it's easier and it's better. I thought about this week when we find ourselves in the midst of a paradigm shift. It's hard to know that you're in the midst of a paradigm shift. Because life is just happening. But then if you take a step back and you kind of look at it from a broader perspective, all of a sudden some things become clear. Um, If you're over 30, something happened in your lifetime that completely changed the world. And the other day, Luke was telling me about a story that my father, he calls Papa, Papa was telling him about, and, and he phrased it this way. He said, he said, Papa was telling me about, or he said, he was telling me a story. I said, where'd you hear that? And he said, it's about Papa's 9-11. I thought, Papa's 9-11. And it dawned on me that my children were born after 9-11 happened. That affected every person in this room who's under the age of 30 or over the age of 30. You remember it. I remember I was standing at a gas pump at Barrett's uh, convenience store putting gas in my green Isuzu pickup truck, listening to the radio when they said that an airplane accidentally flew into the Twin Towers, one of the Twin Towers. I thought, wow, that's crazy. And then I got to work. I was an intern at First Methodist in Pineville and something else happened on the radio. And I remember going inside and finding a TV on a cart. Y'all remember those? And rolling it over to where there was a plug where I could plug it into the cable and turning it on and seeing the second plane hit the tower. That made a significant impact in my life in that moment. And it changed the way the world operated. But my kids don't know the world prior to 9-11. There was a paradigm shift that happened in the world. And I was alive for it. But it just feels normal for me at this point. And it feels normal for my kids. This is just how we operate. They have no idea that you used to could just show your driver's license and get on an airplane. And it was just that simple. And now it is not that simple. If you've flown in the last 30 years, you know. It's significant. But the whole world changed. And for our children, it's just a moment in their history books or it's a story that they hear their parents or their grandparents tell. And when Luke phrased it that way, it made me real, phrased it that way, it made me realize that He's never experienced life prior to that world-changing event. He doesn't know anything about 
what happened previous to that except for what he hears from people. And the people that are receiving this letter, being from Jewish families, would have known all about the history of the Levitical priesthood. We've talked about that so many times, that they told this history orally. It was the way they went about life. But most of them would not have experienced any of that themselves. The best guess for the time that this book was written was 60 A.D., And so the people that are receiving this letter, the majority of them probably had heard of Jesus, but certainly had never met him and were probably not alive when he was alive. And so the author is going through the process of breaking all this down to help these people who who didn't live through that paradigm shift understand the significance of what's happening. The world was different now And the author's helping them to understand all the reasons why. In verse 12, he's pointing out this paradigm shift. He says, for when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well. And the language that he's using here is about an event that happened that brought about a new covenant that was instituted by Jesus' death and resurrection. When he says a new law must come, he's talking specifically about the covenant. God began the Mosaic covenant And we talked about this in our Exodus study, but if you remember Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6, God says, now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. And in the following chapters, in chapters 20 through 23, is where Moses receives the law and all the ordinances, the way that the Israelites should live. And he tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, he says, carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, this great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I have set before you today? So God gives the people the law to improve their lives and to set them apart from all the other people around them. The purpose was not to restore the people, but to get them ready for the restoration that was going to come through Jesus and through the new covenant. He's in building this case, he's trying to help the church understand and see the paradigm shift that happened. The Mosaic Covenant was good and it served a purpose, but has now been superseded by what Jesus did in the New Covenant. He followed this up by connecting the dots again to the connection of Jesus and Melchizedek. He's showing them that Jesus' priesthood wasn't determined by his lineage. It was determined by his very life. We're going to talk about that life next week. But I love the way the NLT translates verses 15 and 16. It says, this change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest, not by meeting the physical requirements of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. Jesus is not more of the same or only slightly better than the Levites. Jesus was something completely different. His life, death, and resurrection are the beginning of the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke of in in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. He said, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, this one will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, 
the Lord's declaration. Instead, this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. This is the new covenant that Jeremiah is prophesying about. Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection was the institution of this covenant that Jeremiah is telling the Israelite people about. He's saying a new covenant, a better covenant is on the way. The author of Hebrews is identifying for the church that man named Jesus that lived a perfect life was crucified unjustly, and then raised himself from the dead is the one that is being spoken of for generations. Over and over and over again, we see the the prophets telling the people the Messiah is coming. He's the royal priest that's finally going to be able to crush the serpent's head, that is going to restore the relationship for the people. And so here's where that hits home for you and I. Because we've talked about all this priesthood stuff. We talked about Jesus is a better priest because he's not of the Levitical line. He's better than that because he's a different type of priest. But what does that mean for you and I? How does that translate into our lives? Culturally, here in the South, most people, if you ask them, will say that they believe in Jesus, that he died for their sins, that he forgives them, that he loves them. Yet so many of those same people are still living under the Mosaic Covenant. They're still operating under the mindset that if I do enough, if I keep the rules, if I'm good enough, if I work hard enough, that God will be pleased with me and he will accept me as I am. That's the Mosaic Covenant. That's not the New Covenant. This is so similar to what the author of Hebrews is charging the church not to do. Remember their temptation was to fall back into the old habits and traditions from their Jewish heritage in order to be accepted by the people that they loved. And the author of Hebrews is encouraging them that this new covenant, he's trying to explain to him, look, this is the way it used to work before you were born or just after you were born. This man, Jesus, he came and he did away with that old way of doing things. The law is still significant. It served its purpose. But there's a better covenant and it's through the person of Jesus. You and I, we understand grace and we understand what the message of grace is about. Jesus is far better than any other priest and the law. And it's because of him that we can know the Lord in the way that Jeremiah spoke of him. That we can say, I know the Lord because he lives in us. The people under the Levitical priesthood never experienced that. They didn't know what it was like to have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And for you and I, the story worth sharing is that there's an upgrade available. Have you ever gone and said, well, I wonder if I'm not ready for an upgrade. This phone's kind of getting junky. And you go open up whatever service it is you have. You go, ooh, I can early upgrade. It costs me only $100 and I get this brand new phone. And there's some excitement there. It is for me anyway because I like stuff. Probably is for you too. And the story that we can share is that for those people that are still living under the law, that are still trying to, uh, to build themselves up in order to present themselves before God in hopes that what they've done is good enough, is that there's a better way. There's an upgrade that's available, and it won't cost you a thing. It's free. Everybody likes free upgrades, right? You go to the Mexican store, and they give you some free cheese dip. Nobody's going to complain about that. You just got to upgrade it. There's an upgrade that is available. 
The people in our lives that are still trying to use this outdated covenant are eligible for that significant upgrade. The law is good, and it still sets us apart. God didn't do away with the law. The law is still here. We train our children up in the ways of the law. Don't lie. Don't hit your siblings. Don't steal stuff. Those are important rules and regulations over our lives. And those are still, they still exist. But those things are not put there in order to make us better people so that God will one day accept us. Those are just there to teach us, to set us apart from other people. But the, the role of saving us belongs to Jesus. The law's not gone away, but rather it's been fulfilled by the only one who's ever been capable of fulfilling it, and that's Jesus. And so as we receive Him as our Lord, and He begins to work in our lives and our hearts and change us into His likeness, He's fulfilling the law through us. It's not our work, but it's His. We can share that with the people in our lives, that if they will trust Jesus with their lives, He will fulfill the law through them. No longer do they need to try to be something or pretend to be something that they're not. Jesus will change their hearts and work in their lives. He'll change them into his likeness. He will make them perfect. They don't have to try to be perfect anymore. There was a paradigm shift a long time ago, and yet many of our friends and family are still living in the past. They're still living as if Jesus had not died on the cross. And one of the things that you and I can do as followers of Jesus is to share our stories to let our lives be the evidence of what it looks like to live under grace. To show people that I understand why you're doing what you're doing. But Jesus isn't asking that of you. He's not asking you to be a good person. He's asking you to be His and He will make you a good person. People around us don't understand grace or forgiveness. And so the only option that they can see is to try to be really, really good. And we know better than that. We understand grace at TGP. We understand what it means to walk with the Lord, to abide in Him, to, to allow Him to speak in our lives every day. And I love the, the, the songs today and then the kids' message that if we, well, what we're going to see if you didn't catch it today over the next month with the kids' stuff, kind of the main theme is, is that if we will walk in obedience to the Lord, He will make us leaders. Not because we're qualified, but because we're walking in obedience. He is our qualification. That's what the story was about today. And God wants to do that in every one of our lives, is that as we walk in obedience to Him, He's going to make us leaders in our communities. He's going to make us leaders in our families. He's going to make us leaders in our workplaces, not because we're really good at anything other than just walking in obedience to Him. We got an upgrade. And that same upgrade's available to everybody. And we can share how they get it. We can give them the link. Click this link, right? We have the information that they need. And our stories will help them to understand that. Let's share our experiences and help others to understand that God's activity isn't the result of being good. It's a result of just being obedient to Him, to listening to His voice and doing what He says. Jesus did the work to restore our relationship with, with God. And let's share that with other people so that they can understand it for themselves. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you've done the work for us. That as we walk through life, that we're not consumed with trying to be something that we're not. God, I ask this week that as we go through life, as we're at work, as we're hanging out with family tomorrow, 
as we're doing whatever it is you've got for us. Father, that you would open up opportunities for the people in our lives to get to hear the goodness of who you are just through conversation. God, that you would bring it up that it would be natural and that we could share about your love and your grace and your forgiveness and free them from their, their feeling, their need to be perfect. God, to help them to understand that perfection comes through a life with you, comes through obeying you. Father, help us to see the people in our lives that need that upgrade, who are stuck under the law and who need to be freed from it. God, work in our hearts. Continue to push us to know you more, to understand, to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.